Welcome to Coffee, Grief, and Gratitude. I'm Maria Gibson, and this is my mom, Annie Gunger. We're a mom-daughter team who talk about grief. We started this podcast to learn more about grief and to be in the conversation in normalizing grief. We're not looking for any answers here because there really aren't any. We're just looking to have a conversation. So you know a little more about us. My biggest grief was being widowed when I was 28 and pregnant with Maria's older brother. Everything in my world changed, eventually for the good, and that took some time. Eventually there was Scott, my fabulous husband, then Maria, our beautiful daughter. I'm fond of saying that grief is the source of my superpowers. It's where I learned to not take time for granted. It's where I learned compassion and love in a bigger, deeper way. It's where I learned to be a beauty seeker, a joy seeker. I wrote my way through grief. I filled stacks of journals. Years later, I wrote a memoir. The Fifth Chamber by Anne Gudger is a story of love and loss. The Fifth Chamber, as in, if your heart had a fifth chamber, what would you fill it with? It's my grief story and how I found my way back to me, how I found my way back to love and a beautiful life. I'm thrilled to tell you that the fifth chamber is coming out in September and we'll put a link to pre-order in the show notes. For me, I was raised by my mom here who was grieving. Grief was very normalized in our home. It's something we talked about often in the car or at the dinner table. One of the things I've realized as I've grown up is that that wasn't really normal. That's one of the reasons we have this conversation. And when people don't share their griefs, they can become secrets and tear people up. But in sharing them, we can connect with each other on a really deep level. For me, the past couple of years, I've lost multiple people in my life, including a few grandparents and horses and cats. I feel many deaths in my life have been major benchmarks in how I view the world. We like to say that grief is transformative. You don't need to stay stuck in the hard parts. Grief is one of life's certainties. It allows us to connect to each other's humanity. If you're here in the early stages of grief, we're here to say it's hard. We're here to say to be kind to yourself and thank yourself for showing up, for being curious about what grief can look like in its wholeness. These conversations aren't a prescription. We're not experts in your grief. We're just here offering a little bit of hope and possibly another perspective. So as we like to say, grab your coffee and let's talk. Today, we are delighted to welcome Joelle Croteau-Willard. Hi, Joelle. Hi. It's so nice to have you with us. <laughs> so great to be here. First, I'll read Joelle's bio, and then she will read a piece of her writing, and then we'll get to be in conversation with her. Joelle Croteau-Willard is the owner of JCW Coaching and Consulting, as well as an entrepreneur who has over 10 years of experience as regional director of leadership training company in Western Canada. She is quadrilingual and a global citizen. When her son, Julian, died six months into her pregnancy with him, she was thrust into a world of deep grief and loss. Her life was devastated and she felt completely shattered, yet the world continued on without her. Joelle's life work was revealed to her with the passing of Julian. 
As her coaching expertise and experiences in the grief and loss world collided, she understands more now than ever how vital pregnancy and infant loss coaching is to recover from trauma and tragedy. In her loss journey, she's also seen a tremendous need for the non-grievers and support system of the bereaved to have resources that allow them to feel useful, purposeful, and supportive when their loved ones are living out the worst days of their lives. If you love someone who has lost a child and feel confused, worried, and paralyzed by it, she is here for you. And we're delighted to say she just launched a podcast called The House of Mourning, and that you can find that in our show notes and other ways to get a hold of Joelle. So please welcome Joelle. What will you be reading for us today? Thank you. I will be reading a blog post from my blog entitled The House of Mourning. All right. And this piece is called Grief, the Unexpected Guest. Next week, it will be one year since my boy Julian died and was born the next day. Many call this milestone the death versary, and right after is his first heavenly birthday. For most deaths, these dates are much further apart in time, yet often people who have experienced pregnancy and infant loss, these dates are sometimes the same day or otherwise separated only by a few days in between. It can make it all feel extra hard. This period of time for many, especially lost parents, lost parents, parents who have lost a pregnancy or infant, this first milestone is absolute shit. Like a flaming, burning, hot, steaming pile of shit. As graphic and vulgar as that is, it still does not come close to how bad it can feel for people. I have been in many ways preparing for this tough time since Christmas, the last really shitty time I experienced in my grief. As I write this, I am keenly aware of the fact that this time last year, I was just under six months pregnant, that Julian was alive and not well in utero, and kicking me every day. My partner never got to feel his kicks as they were still not strong enough to be felt through all the layers that were keeping him safe and growing in my womb. They ended up being special just between him and I, that only we got to feel and connect together in that way, deeply sacred. Despite my preparation, I am still unable to predict what next week will end up feeling like for us. As I have learned with my father's death four years ago, some anniversaries and milestones, like a birthday, will feel more manageable and others will be anguish-filled. The thing with grief is that it can't be controlled decided upon beforehand, or predicted. You just simply don't know how you will feel until that moment comes and you live it. So far, the moments I have anticipated feeling sad, low, and sorrow 
have been much harder and worse than I could have ever anticipated them feeling. And at the same time, that actually does not indicate how I will feel next week. Grief is not linear, nor is it predictable. It doesn't trend in one direction or another. It's not constantly getting less and less every day as I feel better and better. That's just not how it works. It's kind of like electricity. We don't quite understand it. There is very little explanation for how it works, and yet it can zap you so hard. And there you are on your ass, knocked out from its power. Grief waves are like that too. I've become fixated on understanding grief, loss, and mourning. Of course, my motivator is purely selfish. The more I read and learn about grief and how it can feel and what is normal and how most people in grief have felt, it helps me better understand myself and have some sort of idea of what to expect. And yet, despite my best efforts, there is so much that comes with grief. It's not simple. And just last month, I found myself completely beside myself, feeling caught off guard leading up to my living son Axel's third birthday party. Last year, Axel's second birthday fell one month before Julian died. The day after his birthday party, that year, we found out that Julian had a major abnormality in his brain development and that he was not actually doing very well in utero. Prior to that, it seemed that he was developing normally and was fully healthy. So our world crashed the day after Axel's party. When we approached celebrating, planning, and organizing Axel's third birthday this year, I was not anticipating feeling absolutely horrible about it all. I had never read nor heard that grief might come around the celebration of a sibling's special day. So that was a complete surprise to me, a true unexpected guest that arrived at the door with no warning that I, of course, let in. I have learned that when the grief comes, I let it and focus on how I can just be with it, feel it, do my best to survive the grief wave, and then pick up where I left off before being knocked down. Rumi, the 13th century scholar, poet, and messenger, is one of my all-time favorites since I've been on this journey of deep grief and loss. Rumi's poem, The Guest House, is about welcoming any and all emotions into your experience as if they were welcome guests knocking at your door. I do my best to welcome my grief waves and all feelings that I have since my son died as I feel them, especially when they feel like that unexpected house guest that I have not prepared for in any way. And I will leave you today with this poem by Rumi, the guest house. This being human is a guest house. Every morning, a new arrival, a joy, a depression, 
a meanness, some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all, even if they are a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture. Still treat each guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice, meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whatever comes because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. Oh, Joelle, thank you so much. That was just, <laughs> that's so beautiful. I love, I love your, oh, it's just such a good thing for people to hear, like your honesty and vulnerability and bravery and just sitting with your grief, like knowing, not knowing what it's going to be, knowing it's going to be hard and, and welcoming it in has um, my experience in having grieved deeply and widely so long ago, it's like, that's how we move through it. You know, when people just want to shelter it away, it, it stays, it's like waiting for you in the closet or wherever. Right. So I, I love that you wrote about that and that you shared that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, you know, it's very, it's been very interesting to me to compare and contrast my griefs with my, you know, my own grief, right? I don't like to do so with other people's journeys and griefs and, and all of that. However, um, when I compare like the loss of my grandparents, when I compare the loss of my father, when I compare the loss of Julian, they're very different experiences and um, I, I think the main piece around that is I could, quote unquote, av avoid all of it until Julian died. And then it all came crashing down. Um, I, well, I have two thoughts here. So and there are two different planes. So we'll see how it goes. Uh, the first for me when your piece was just that idea of reading and researching about other people's griefs and it's something that isn't talked about very much in uh, culturally at least in my society and that's really to me the idea of why we're also doing this podcast is not the prescription of how to move through grief but just in sharing those experiences and stories like you have a buddy in it almost so that was my first reflection. And my other question back to you then is how old is this piece or when did you lose Julian? Are you years out in your grief or is it something that's closer? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so I wrote this piece uh, three months ago because Julian died in May of 2022. So um, he was our little Hawaiian made baby. We were on vacation. We took a, you know, after COVID, right? I mean, anyhow, um, yeah, we, we went to Hawaii for five weeks and came back and I was pregnant with our little 
what we who who we thought would be uh, the completion of our family and um you know he's not earthside with us and he's joined us permanently uh, in our little crew but uh unfortunately he is our angel baby now and so yeah and you know i think that's part of the biggest issue that i'm finding in grief is how and this is what really became obvious to me when julian died whereas it wasn't so obvious before because i was doing a lot of unconscious suppression of my grief when my dad died um i didn't give it space i didn't know how to i didn't want to and again it was all unconscious right um and yet when julian died it's like i became i i was going through what again, the only way I know how to describe it is I just felt completely broken open. And, and I say broken open because I felt shattered, right? Like in, in my intro. And yet um, I don't say broken because I personally don't subscribe to that as a concept. Like I don't believe it's possible for humans to be broken. However, I know a lot of people find solace in that. And if that's what you believe, that's, you know, I'm not trying to take that belief away from anyone, you know, anyhow. Um, and I just felt this, I became aware to, to, you know, I became aware of this resistance to this pressure on grievers to dismiss, dismiss, bypass, push away and perform, perform, right? Like prove to us, you're not ill with this whole thing. And like, be better. Are you better? Are you better? And, um, and the only solace I did find was in community with other, with, with after Julian's loss um, was obviously in the, you know, pregnancy and infant loss community. However, um, hearing actual information, hearing education, hearing like, you know, statements like these things, if you're experiencing these things, here's a list of things, right? They, these are normal in grief. Like this means you're in grief. This means you're, and just that alone as a, as a, like, I was just hungry for all of it because it was affirming. It was validating to be like, okay, there's nothing wrong with me. This is normal. This is a healthy response to a tragedy and trauma. I'm not sick. I'm not unwell. I'm not I shouldn't be feeling any different, you know? And so that's like, I needed that validation, but from actual, from the, from the grief well, from the people that know, you know, cause nobody else was really, nobody, nobody got it. It was just kind of like avoidance central. Yeah, we are culturally, we like, we say squeamish, but it's more than, you know, it's squeamish, but it's, there's this great discomfort. And so, you know, in people, I would have to tell myself regularly, as I'm sure you have, like people mean well, but all that, like, are you better? Are you better? I'm like, I wasn't better. And, you know, it's going to take the time that it takes and it's, it's different for everybody. And the process, while there are things that people's grieves have in common, so we can talk about it, it truly is different for every human depending what the loss is and depending on your relationship um, to loss and what you've experienced before, before you got to the one you're in. 
right? Those are all factors. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I was just thinking about this, listening to your intro and all the things that you've curated to, you know, open this space and create the container is, you know, I, I, now that I think about it, I feel like I was born into grief. I mean, in many ways we all are. However, when I look at the circumstances in my family, like my, my grandfather, my father's father, I never met because he died when my dad was 18. And so I, I already had that, like, you know, for about, for lack of a better word, I'll call it a hole, but there was like, Oh, that dead, like, like grandpa, grandma, grandma, huh? Where's, where's, you know, or whatever. It doesn't have to be male, female, you know, however the family looks right. But just with partners, I was, I had three, not four, you know, and, and even that was, was privilege. A lot of people don't know any of their grandparents, you know, however, um, and mine died, two of them died in their nineties, you know, so like full, full lives of long health. Um, and yet I was still pretty young when my grandparents, when I had no grandparents, um, However, you know, being born into that grief and also being born into a, 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 I would say a false belief of my father's of like, I'm, you know, I'm, I don't want to say over, but he, in his mind, he had dealt with the death of his father, which he later came to realize he had not. And I think that that is so typical in society and in being in personal development for 10 years, that was the biggest thing I've heard is like, I thought I dealt with all this. <laughs> like, I thought I, ch- I checked it off the list, you know, grieve, grieve the death of my dad dying at 18, done, check. And it's like, eh, I don't know, <laughs> you know, um, but and anyhow, so that, that is, has been interesting. And, and um, basically what I, I, interest me about grief also is like, I kind of feel like just going around and telling everyone that's in grief, like everything you've been taught about grief is not true. <laughs> like You're not doing it wrong. You know, like so many of my clients moving into being a grief and loss coach and being getting certified and in, and in that, you know, space is clients coming literally being like I why why am I so like why do I feel this why am I not why am I you know I mean why am, am I is this right is this wrong is this should, am I doing it right am I doing it like I feel like this is wrong like but really they're feeling and it's hard and it feels wrong because we're conditioned out of our feelings in society and that's my personal belief but you know <laughs> Oh, I'm, we, I so agree with that. We so agree with that. And there is that, like, we give people a very short time to grieve and then we want them to be over it. And it is because we get so disconnected from our feelings and what we were, I love what you just said. You want to tell everybody what you heard about it is wrong, right? That's part of why we're doing this part of why, what you're doing, you're doing what you're doing, right? To say that what we, what we thought it was that was prescribed by people who weren't grieving. And what we know for people who are grieving, it's a very different experience. And I mean, I say regularly um, for me, it's if I, when I put labels on it, it's all before and after, 
it's, it's not those tidy steps. It's like the before and the after, because those steps make it sound like you you're taking steps, you're moving forward. You're going, you're going up, you're, you know, that one's done and you're into the next one. And the truth is you're all over the place. Well, so you've mentioned several things you got for support and do for support already, but I'm sure you have a little more to expand on how you've been supported through your grief and what you're doing now to support others. Yeah, I feel I'm not able to speak from a place of experience with respect to general grief groups, you know, when it comes to like support groups or what have you. However, in the last year, you know, I've had the privilege of not working for eight months of it and being on a a very extended bereavement leave. I mean, it's all relative. However, let's be clear, corporate North America bereavement leave is like 48 hours, you know, maybe 72 if you're lucky. (laughs) However, that's just a joke. I mean, that's just, if something's wrong, like that's definitely like, that's just ludicrous. I mean, be it your, your, your partner, be it your, your mother, your child, whomever dies. It's just like, see back in, you know, 72 hours back in the office. Um, and so that first and foremost, like having the space, being able to take the space and be, you know, that bereavement leave. I mean, I was in a grief cave for eight months and I was in a bubble, my little grief bubble. And, uh, um, but I, but honestly, I took on my healing like it was a job. And I know that sounds, you know, weird. However, it was my primary focus. Like I just literally knew I was so deeply not okay. I was so deeply, I I didn't recognize myself. Like I, I looked in, like I looked in the mirror, you know, and I wanted nothing, nothing of the, of any of the things I used to want. And so, um, I was, I went to, from one support group with a pregnancy and infant loss organization. You know, I found a really great one in Canada. I found a really great one in the U S and Canada, it's called Pilsk pregnancy and infant loss support center. And then my center of choice in the U.S. is out of L.A. and it's Return to Zero Hope. And that was a beautiful hub that I did. I was in a support group there. I got I got I received pregnancy and infant loss coaching, which was one of the most pivotal things I've ever done in my life as a as a as a student and learner and client. I've, I've gone to two different loss grief and loss retreats for bereaved mothers. And, you know, those are, and then I did a coaching certification and, and it's funny. Cause when I did it, I told the founders, I'm like, I'm not going to be working in this field. Like this is for me. Like, I'm just like, I think I could really benefit from this. If I just can, you know, get as much education and knowledge as possible about it. And then at the end of it, I was like, I'm totally going to do this now. Like, this is just, too, this is just too important and beautiful and spiritual and, you know, anyhow, but, um, you know, and then writing, like starting my blog being 
right, like writing through it and expressing things that I wanted people to, you want to check on me here, read this blog. There's a lot of stuff in there that you're, you're not going to be happy about reading. (laughs) I'm not my, nothing that I do is going to reassure you. If you're looking for reassurance that I'm like, Ooh, Joel's doing good. She's making it through. Like none of that there. Um, but, uh, and then, um, yeah, it's, I've been doing, I've been doing a lot of things and then now launching my podcast, like building up to it. And, um, yeah, just, I've started, I've done, I've done a series of speeches through my little Toastmaster club. Like I just haven't been doing much publicly and yet at the same time I have, but I'm very selective because it has to feel aligned. I'm much more, it's much more likely that I say no to things that I'm just like, I don't want to do that anymore, you know, and really focusing on what I do. I also have done pottery. I've started pottery as an outlet. I was just very drawn to clay randomly, never been drawn to it prior. And it's like, it's heaven to be creating with clay and that whole process. So, uh, yeah. Well, you sort of touched on a couple of these things as I was getting ready to ask, ask you this question, but I'm still going to ask it. Um, and it's just, how has grief changed you? Yeah. Well, it's, it's still hard to say other than like in every way possible, you know, and at the same time, I, I feel like I feel like grief changes you in direct proportion to how much you let it, you know, like with my father and I talked about that contrast, but let me just break that down a bit. Like my grandparents, like I was messed up for like a couple months. I mean, here's the truth. When my grandfather died, I was a disaster. Okay. Um, but we were so tight and he was like 93. I was in a total integrity with our relationship. I'm like, I was at his home, his home, like in three weeks ago, I decorated it while he was sleeping. He woke up and like redecorated. you know what I mean? Like I was good. Like I went out of my way. I nurtured the heck out of that. He was like a soulmate to me and not, you know, romantically or whatever, just, he was my teacher. He taught me how to live. And when he died, I wasn't, I didn't even get to his funeral for circumstances that don't really matter. But I also know that I didn't need to go to his funeral. And I didn't need to for me and I didn't need to for him. And I know that sounds very weird to to your ancestor or loved one that is like one of the heroes in your life. Um, But that was how I experienced it. And, uh, but then when my dad died, um, because it was so sudden and, uh, it it happened to be, um, you know, lucky I've heard a couple of your episodes. I'm like, it's a, it's a, you know, we cry here. (laughs) I'm like, maybe, maybe I'll cry. Maybe I won't, but like, you know, that's what we do. Um, but yeah, like when he died, um, I, it was six months before my wedding 
I, I was very focused. I had a goal of getting pregnant immediately, you know, all these things lucky for me, like, you know, it's not always the case that I was able to, but I had no, I had no time. I had no space. I mean, that's the story. I chose to not create any. I, I was so afraid of my grief. Um, that, yeah, I didn't, I didn't let myself feel it. And um, I didn't, I wasn't aware of it. It wasn't a conscious choice. It wasn't, you know, I thought I was grieving and healing and, you know, um, I was getting a lot of help and, and therapy and stuff, but I, I think when I, when I look back, it's that I was afraid of it because I thought it would just swallow me up whole. And I didn't know if I would make it out in time, you know, for my wedding and like being a vessel to like try and, you know, bring life into this planet, you know, is like being stressed and being in grief and having cortisol and, and all the things like my adrenals were burnt when my dad died. Um, so I was just all about like, Oh my God, you know, because I didn't want to cancel the wedding because my dad would have like, you know, I jokingly say he would have like came back to life and like choked me, you know, like my dad was just very matter of fact about death. And he just would have been like, you idiot like I'm dead you know what I mean like don't not have your wedding because I'm dead like that's stupid you know like my dad would have said something like that you know but anyhow so it just you know I, I worked I went back to work in a couple of weeks you know I had to leave work more than once because I was a disaster you know but you know it was just different it was different. I wasn't consciously trying to participate with my grief, move it, work through. I was just kind of like, I wanted to get better. And that's what was such a contrast to me was I bought into everything I thought I grief was. I bought into it. You know, I went back to work. I pushed through. I, you know, compartmentalized. And what it was, was all just suppression. And that was the best I had. And when my son died, I, that's where I say, like, that's where it like hit me like a ton of bricks because it was double. And even when my living son, Axel was born, a lot of grief fell out of me when he came into the world because it hit me. My dad will never meet him. My dad is not here, you know? And so the irony of it all is that there was solace in my dad being dead when my son died because I knew he could and to be honest I, I doubted him because <laughs> our relationship wasn't like you know perfect what is but you know he had let me down a lot and I was kind of unsure <laughs> if he would be there but I've I know now that he was there and, and, and in many ways, this isn't a bow and it's not silver lining and it's not me trying to appease other people. I genuinely believe that, um, that my dad has my one son with him, you know? And so it's so complicated.
Like, wow. Uh, thank you so much for just sharing your true, vulnerable, honest story with us. Um, as we're all over here crying, I guess. <laughs> so we always like to ask towards the end, if there's anything else you would like to add, if there's something you thought of, um, and just open-ended and yeah. I think, um, it's, you know, it's, it's almost an appeal. I want to appeal to the non-grievers listening to in this space. Um, and, you know, because like the grievers are kind of like maxed out with like the capacity is like low capacity for much else. <laughs> However, one of my passions is being that bridge and like supporting the community members of grievers and the support systems of grievers and my biggest encouragement is that is in the value of leaning in and and being curious and treating it like a relationship because grief is there whether or not you like it it's always going to be uncomfortable and the value of leaning in and approaching your griever with curiosity and just like, what, you know, do you want to talk about your loved one? Do you not want to talk about your loved one? Do you want me to ask how you're feeling today? Does that feel like crap for you? Like, you know, being inquisitive and, and learning how to be in relationship with your griever and their grief, because not engaging with their grief is it's a horrible feeling as the griever. It's like denying my reality and that does not help, you know? So even if you get it wrong, at least if you even just approach it, your griever and are like, I am so afraid of getting it wrong right now. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to be. And I'm going to just ask you a question. And if you hate the question, just tell me you hate the question and I will never ask it again. <laughs> you know, like it's like being willing to suck and look bad and feel uncomfortable will always, I believe, like, I don't know what's going to land for them or not. Like it's non-prescriptive, right? We don't know everybody. There's no one answer, but leaning in and trying and like, you know, just doing things for your people and, and giving them options. Just like, I think it's just so important. And I think it's undervalued. We, we just choose to be quiet and, and avoid and Hey, they would just, they said they'd get back to me. If they, I said, let me know if you, what you need. I never heard back. It was like, no, they're, they're not going to call you back, bro. Like they're just not, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it do something do something and be willing to get it wrong and then be open to, to be in relationship because they, they do need a lot of things. Um, so at least try, you know, be, being, being brave together. That's how we can heal and grow together because the grievers will always remember who was there and who cared and maybe got it wrong, but showed up anyway. 
Wow. That's a beautiful place for us to land. I got to say, and I love what you said, like be, be willing to get it wrong, be willing to suck at it and just be willing to be in there with your person. And it is true that grievers remember who was at their side, right? It's, that's just, that's so beautiful. So Joelle, we just want to thank you so much for being with us today. It's my honor. I, I love the community that you are have all been creating for so long now. Thank you. And uh, now with your book coming out, Annie, like, wow, just global changers. So in this podcast, so thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Yeah, you had us all crying. This was a this was a triple cry day. <laughs> I end it. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here with us. Uh, if you would like to reach out to us, we'd love to hear from you. You can join our Facebook community at Coffee and Grief Community and post any stories in there, your grief interpretations. We'd love to connect with you on grief. Uh, we have a coffee talks that we offer the first Thursday of every month. There are five different readers who will read a personal grief story, somewhat similar to what you heard today. They're on all different topics. There's a Zoom link on our Facebook page that changes every month to join us in the Zoom room. So you can be live with us at Coffee Talks the first Thursday of every month. Uh, our email is coffeeandgrief at gmail.com. If there's something you'd like us to talk about, if there's a story you'd like to share, please reach out there. Uh, Joelle's podcast is The House of Mourning, so reach out to her there, and we'll also put it in the show notes here. We always love to end by saying, be good to yourself, be kind to your hearts, drink plenty of water, do something kind for yourself, and if you have the bandwidth, do something kind for another. Please come back. We love you. Thanks for being with us. We love you. Bye. 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 Thank you. Thank you.